Uh, okay. Uh, we're looking at, we're going into what is creation for this month. Um, humility and dignity is what we're looking at. Uh, this is to talk about the humility and dignity that God has given us in what he's created. Uh, humility, as in we should be humbled by what he's done. And dignity in that the creation account is true. And everything else that is made up about what the earth might have been or what it wasn't beforehand and all that is, is man-made, unless scientifically proven. I want to add that. I don't want to chuck out science here, but I'll, I'll, I'll get on to that. And I'll, and I'll explain why it's important that dignity is an important part of creation and why it's really important to, to take into account the creation story, as it were, the creation account. What I hope we can get from this is that God uh, alone is the all-sustaining power. He's the, the all-sustaining power that all created things and all hold together within him, that without him, this very universe would not exist at all. Uh, God's creation so should humble us in its, completely, or in its complexity to not only sustain us, but that he also <coughs> excuse me, gave us responsibility of it uh, to his people he created. And if we look at that, we'll see that if God acknowledged that it was good every day, we see that in the creation account. We see that God said it was good, 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 very good. Uh, I've got the right number. I think I have. Um, if he said it was very good, then gave us responsibility over it. Should that not humble us? Should that not uh, give us some sort of a humility and say, wow, who are we to be given this amazing uh, creation to look after, uh, have responsibility for? Um, and he considered it good to a specific part of his creation, which is us. We also find that understanding and accepting that God created all things, especially so with us, that it gives us a, a dignity, a special place in God's creation that you won't find in the narrative that it all happened out of luck or survival of the fittest. Uh, you, you, we need to understand that we can talk about these things and we can say we don't, uh, either side, as it were, has evidence of probably to a certain degree uh, that it happened a certain way. Um, but dignity in this account is really important, it, uh, and, I'll, and I'll talk about that. But let's first talk about um, humility. Um, as human beings, I think in, in this age, we, we are in uh, generations that follow becoming more and more obsessed with their own image uh, and how they look to the world around them. Uh, it's inevitable, by the way, and it's not just this generation. I don't want to start blaming certain generations or certain kids or whatever, actually, all through history. Uh, in some form or another, even if the internet doesn't exist, we love our own image. We love how we look. We love what we look like uh, to a certain degree, even if when you watch the old TV shows and the old movies of old London, East End London, uh, whilst they might not have had the same things that we have for grooming and looking after ourselves they still put their big dresses on and the things to make them look good and there was still something in them to look good to want to look good to the world so it's not only uh, about the generation we see before us today but uh, it's a common thing uh, but what we see in the world around us is as described in the book of romans romans 1 25 says they exchanged the truth about god for a lie worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who has forever praised Amen. Quick, just an absolute direct. This is happening now. This happens when 
Paul wrote this in Romans. It happened before uh, he wrote it, and it will happen after, and it will happen as long as Jesus has not come back. It will happen after we leave this place too. Uh, we are just that way. We are sinful. We love uh, who we are. You can see that today. Uh, but in a strange way, I think this might be a comfort that even today uh, we do nothing new under the sun. I want that to be our comfort, that just because what you see, you might see new things expressed. Uh, you might see things expressed in a, in a new way, but they're still the same sinful things that we have inside us, which is we want us to be elevated. We want us to be the thing that's showing off uh, and, to, and to look good um, in whatever way that may be. And in the very least, it yet again proves that the Bible is absolutely right about us. Uh, what ha whatever happens when we pursue, idolize, and worship the created things, including ourselves, is that all sense of humility is lost. Uh, when we look to ourselves, uh, we, there's no humility anymore of, of what's, what's around us. We seem to elevate our position, I think, in the world. We seem to think, hey, uh, I'm pretty good. I'm good at what I do. I'm pretty amazing. And then it gets worse and worse. And of course, Social media, online, that's, a, that's the best example to use, just as an example, to say that the more you get, the more feedback you get, the more it puffs us all up and makes us feel I'm important. I'm someone who matters. And in fact, lots of terminology used today encourages us to consider everything we do to be created as if we've done it from nothing. Um, much of the Christian output, and I'll, I'll, I'll work on talk about the Christian output you see online because actually it's easy to kind of target to talk about unbelievers but actually we need to talk about ourselves and talk about uh, what we do as well much of the Christian output you might see on YouTube including teaching whether it's good or bad uh, is now carefully created content on YouTube uh, to the point where I think I see I've seen some really good teachers really good people who are started out really well uh, and then made videos uh, that has this weird sort of weird th thread running through it where they they sort of say, oh, I want to do well for the Lord, do this video. And then actually what they're really doing is they're kind of trying to draw people in to subscribe to their channel. It's like a weird false humility. It's, I can't, it's hard to explain. And they do videos saying, oh, I've done this video and I regret that and I don't like this and I don't like that. And then what they do is they say, but guys, you need to watch my channel. And, it, and it's just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But I think what happens is once you get caught in that, you can keep going and going. You can kind of get caught up in this, this tide of what's happening today. And so we've seen these, the, uh, I've seen these people in recent times. Uh, so they started by bringing truth about the Bible to the masses, helping us to understand it, which is great. Um, and then they start to maybe gear the output towards what people might like. Same with church. It doesn't have to be online. Uh, we start to gear our output, as it were, in churches to try and talk to a certain demographic, as it were, maybe a certain age range. And then we can kind of get lost also in that. We can get lost in uh, what we think is we're trying to be we're trying to be relevant is the term I've heard. We're trying to be relevant. Uh, I'll say this, church. Church is not here to be relevant. It's not here to be relevant. And you might say, well, we are because we've got the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about relevance. The church is not here to be relevant to the world. In fact, Jesus came and said, this is not my kingdom. 
And so this is not a place we're meant to be to come and go, well, how can we find ways to be relevant? The caveat, of course, is that doesn't mean we don't do anything. doesn't mean we don't do outreach and all that good stuff. But we don't want to be chasing. We're not chasing after things in order to remain relevant or to keep up with the relevant thing of the age. We still want to maintain that what we have here, the world doesn't have. What we have in the Bible, the world doesn't have. What we have in Jesus, the world doesn't have. And that's the drawing. That's what we, when we draw people in, we're trying to do that. We're trying to say, come and find something different. Find the true way to live. Find Jesus Christ himself. And we can't do that if we keep falling into this trap uh, of finding, of being relevant uh, in quotes. But inevitably, this has led, as we've seen, uh, to a weakening of the gospel message in favour of what is popular, as I said, with the masses. And what this does, it falls us into this false sense of security of the world around us. It leads to the worship of the created rather than the worship of the creator. And the fundamental problem this leads to is shown in this verse in Romans. A humility gained by an understanding of accepting that the whole universe was created by an uncreated God is lost when we purposefully live in the lie of the world, that we are the creators and gods of our own destiny. When we live in that lie, we're, we're rejecting God. We're rejecting him. And so humility's lost. We don't, we, don't, we don't connect anymore with God's creation. So when we think about and even read the, the days that he worked on and did the creation of the entire universe, actually I'm so now obsessed with what I do, and that was so long ago, that we kind of go, yeah, but I've got my life now. And this is what's happening in the world. We're losing a sense of humility, and we're building ourselves up in order to uh, be, I suppose, creators, as I said, of our own world, our own destiny. We, we want to have things in our control. But Colossians 1 verse 16 says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible, uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We have the God of the universe who is uncreated. As it says, in him all things were created. God created the universe out of nothing. Nothing but God existed before the universe was created. And there are simple facts. And this is the bit which should bring us humility. Without the God of the universe, without this God of the Bible that we believe in, that we trust in, we would not have existed at all. God didn't create the universe because he was lonely. Remember, we, we learned last month about the Trinity. Three persons, one God created the whole universe and all things the whole together are done by the tri triune God. God is in perfect unity with himself. There's no need to create a universe. He doesn't need to create us. doesn't need to create playthings, all sorts of radical theories that non-believers will come up with telling you there's this God playing kind of chess with our lives. Uh, let me tell you that God of the Bible is not in the Bible. That one that they talk about doesn't exist. Uh, it's one that people make up in their heads. Uh, and then uh, have the audacity to tell us we're making up a God. 
this God exists. This God absolutely exists. He's not done it because he's bored or lonely. And so this is where our humility should begin. God spoke all of creation into existence. He simply spoke the words and the things happened. The universe became. And here is the thing that should humble us. Men and women were created by God's very hands. Not only that, but by God's very breath. We are the only part of creation that God focused intently on when he created us. We're the only part of creation that he did that. We're the only part of creation that he breathed life life into. Genesis 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. That should humble us. It's, it's, it's like a, it's no effort for God to do this, and there's no need for Him to do it, and yet He does it anyway because He 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 wants He has He has love to give, and this stuff kind of only works if we have a free choice to follow Him as well. If we can choose Him, goodness, that love is amazing to to kind of understand that God let us choose Him or not choose Him. Think, why didn't God just kind of make us automatons and deal with it? Deal with all the stuff and just go, make us just believe. And I've heard non-believers say that. Why didn't he just make us believe in him? And yet people live their lives not reflecting that theory. They blow the theory out of the water when I say, well, that's fine. If you want that, you can have it. But remember, most of, if probably all your decisions you made up to this point, are all not, not lined up with God. Nothing. Which means every decision that you made, every action that you took, everything that you supposedly enjoyed, including sin, is not in line with God. Now, do you want that? Do you want that where you have no way of deciding and God says, I will make you love me? No, because that's not real love, is it? That's not love. You don't get love by making someone love you. You tell them, this is what I did for you. I created you. I made you so that you could love and glorify the living God that created you. And then, and then we, even as broken vessels, can go back and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I have the chance to love. Thank you that I have the chance to love you. Thank you that you love me first. In all creation, no one gets that special treatment. God has designated human beings to have a special place in his universe. And we're the only beings made in his image as well. To be like God and represent him without actually being him. The Bible teaches that although God did not need to create anything, he chose to create us and chose to create us in his image. I can't even imagine what that's like at that moment where God's creating the universe. And we get get some form of picture of what that might look like when we look at the potter's wheel. And we understand what God is doing with his people. We see that in the Old Testament as well. We see it that God is, is, is trying to, not trying to, that's the wrong word. God can do and God won't do. It's entirely up to him. But God molds, molds us. He, he wants us to be something more than we are. Something more than just these kind of failed, broken vessels. He wants us to be more than that. 
And this picture, this amazing picture of God carefully, carefully creating us should just humble us. And so for some, that might be enough to be humbled by and just accept our small but important part of God's creation. But Christian or not, sometimes I think we need a slap in the face. We need this slap in the face to bring us back to reality. The reality we actually live in, not the one that we decide to live in, not the one we make up in our minds, the one that actually exists. Isaiah 40, 14 to 15, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Obviously, there's like ironic sense in this verse. Verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. That, that comparison is, is helpful because it's an extreme comparison. Because what it says is God says, we, we often think we are important. God said, but at the end of the day, compared to him, we're dust. And yet look what he's done. This dust is special to him. This creation is special to him. I believe that we sometimes have given so much weight to scientific theory that we are happy to buy in so quickly without first understanding what is being said and what it means for our existence. We're told that all living things come into existence as a result of random mutations over a long period of time. Yet the scientific community will say that while they have evidence of what they call microevolution, so that's where our features change. So uh, on a bird, it's a beak. So a beak might change over time, over a long, long time, uh, and that's microevolution. And, and Christians agree with that. Christian creationists, they believe, they accept that that is a way because we can see it in possibly us, uh, but we can certainly see it in animals that where they change and certain features of it might change permanently from maybe some hundreds, two hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago. But macroevolution, one thing transforming into another thing. There's no proof. Scientists will actually admit there is no proof of macroevolution. Macroevolution is maybe me turning into a bird me turning into anything you want to, you want to think of anything in a more scientific way it's that maybe blobs of things or worms or whatever you, what they want to call it would turn into something else or maybe <coughs> maybe other animals turned into other animals but yet they will say yeah there's actually no evidence of that but what you know what they call it they call it indirect evidence there's indirect evidence that that's a thing. You go, what is indirect evidence? And when you find out what it means, it means it's inferred. So what they do is they take some information. And they, there's not enough information to say that that is a fact. So they go, well, based on what we know, that we can say it happens. 
but it's not proven. Now, indirect evidence is used often in science. It's not a bad thing to do. It's not a wrong thing to do. But that is not the problem. It is when the theory that all in all is, is still a theory becomes a foundation to build everything else on. When what we've started with is really a supposition, is something that we've, a conclusion that we've come to, but without supporting evidence and gone, so based on that, we're going to build everything on it. Everything. There's a problem with that. I'm going to tell you now that as a Christian, and when you, when you speak to non-Christians, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to infer something of the Bible. You're not allowed to infer that something that God did this or God did that. But science apparently is allowed to. Non-believers even are allowed to do that. But you'll be picked up on it the moment you say, well, I believe that the six days is six days. Well, where's the evidence? Well, I'm, it's indirect evidence. I'm inferring from what I can read and therefore what God has said. And so I can say that God is right, that this is a true account of what happened. I can infer because actually much of science, as much as it doesn't want to agree, uses the Bible in many of its theories. In fact, there's, a, there's a, a theory that's currently going around. You'll see it in many movies. You'll see it in lots of Marvel movies as well, uh, which is the multiverse theory, which is that universes are born out of universes, and that's how we get universes being born. And then you have to question, and you go back to them and say, but how was the first one born? Oh, we don't know. That's not our job. So they have multiverse and multiverse and multiverse. The, thing about, the weird thing about the multiverse theory is that is based on the Bible. It's actually part of the creation story they've actually used to justify multiverse theory. This is weird. Big Bang Theory, to some degree, is being taken from the Bible. It's not that there was a bang, it's how it was formed. When you read the Bible, what you see in the Bible is that there was formless, it was formless, and we see that potentially there was water, and then God brought land, and then God added things, the depths, it says. And it was wild and it was rough. Guess what NASA found? NASA found that there, there might have been water here before the Earth was formed. Water in space from asteroids. I kid you not. And yet, apparently, it's uh, a load of fantasy. Anyway. So sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can give this incredible weight to scientific theory and yet not understand, even as Christians, we need to be careful here. Uh, I'm, I'm not having a go or, or rejecting people that believe in uh, every a day was a thousand years or there was even millions of years, okay? This is a secondary issue. I need to say secondary to our belief. However, I will challenge and say, if we cannot agree that what God says in his word in Genesis, just in the first few chapters, then everything else is up for debate. Everything else has to be taken apart. We can dismiss every other thing in the Bible if we say that from the very beginning, we can say, I'll just have it how I want it. It unravels. We have to then say, well, everything is up for debate. Everything, and actually, 
if we find the way that people now in churches are work, uh, 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 their theology is working towards, I would say that is sadly what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot more of adjusting of the gospel, adjusting of the scriptures. Well, he didn't quite say that though, did he? And he didn't quite say no to that. And he didn't quite say yes to that. And so this is what we do. So we have to be really careful because the foundation we're building on uh, could be a poor foundation. Matthew 7, 24 to 26. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain came down, the streams rose, and winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. I need to stress, this is not to say that there is science or the Bible, okay? And this is often what happens. As a Christian, what you'll get told is that if you believe in the Bible, you believe in Jesus, you don't believe in science. And I've actually heard those very words used to say you don't believe in science. The irony of that statement, to have belief in something, yet the people who are telling you to believe in it say they don't believe in anything, is, is astounding. But they have used that term, if, you don't, if you're a Christian, you don't believe in science. I'm not saying that at all, actually. For a Christian perspective, science is only possible because God made it possible. Science is a tool by which we can use to discover his creation. And lo and behold, guess what we did? We took it and we abused it. And we go, ah, oh, I can come up with my own theory. I can come up with my own way now and call it science. I don't even need to test it. Dark matter is another one. Heard of this before? Recently come out? It's not proven. There is no proof to say that dark matter exists. It's the thing, apparently, and this is a really, I have to... These ones I have to tell you about. I know they get a bit technical, but these are, they're astounding. They tell you that dark matter is the, black, is the kind of black, dark energy that exists in the universe. And it, it, it's sort of, it's behind everything. It's sort of, it, it's the negative energy. It's the stuff that runs behind the stuff you can see. It's invisible. That is not a scientific explanation whatsoever. But then they said, but there's no proof because you can't see it. Oh yeah, but that's the, problem you can't see it well you can't test it either no no you can't test it so how is it scientific so then they come out and said actually we can't prove that dark matter exists therefore dark matter is just a theory it's just something that someone came up with once here's what i'm saying we move and we keep jumping from thing to thing and yet the answer is right here in this bible the answer and the thing that helps us to, to understanding more of our planet and our universe is right here in this, in this book. So from a Christian perspective, science is only possible because God made it possible for us to have limited understanding of the world around us. So we need to understand, or we need to instead look at both scripture and observations of the natural world around us and identify where our limited understanding and imperfect knowledge of both science and the Bible could be wrong. It is perfectly possible that we could also be wrong about our understanding of the Bible on certain things. And that's why we come back, and that's why you'll find many times you might think, actually, we as a church believe this thing. But now, after looking at it and studying the scriptures more, actually, it's not so clear-cut that that's the thing. 
it's okay because we are limited beings. And what we're trying to work with here is godly scripture. We're trying to work with a God who is infinitely more powerful, who is infinite in his, in his being. And limited beings are trying to understand an infinite God. It's okay that if we study scripture and look at it and we go, I didn't see that before. And I thought this was this thing and that was this thing. It's okay that then we come back to it and go, it's not quite clear cut for me anymore. It doesn't, I've, I've learned some more about it. I've had the Holy Spirit reveal something. But if we understand the place and limitation of human discovery through the scientific method and get to grips with the Bible and issues it doesn't speak on, by the way, issues it doesn't speak on, there are things it does not talk about, then they don't have to be in conflict. What we've often done is just like with science, we take something and we go, science can't actually prove that thing. In the same way the Bible, we can say, well, the Bible doesn't cover everything that God has ever said. It says enough for us to live as Christians, to believers in Christ. That's great, brilliant. But there are things it doesn't speak on. We've done this a few weeks ago, I think, when we were talking about how does... Uh, does the Bible direct us uh, in every single thing in how we live our lives? No, it doesn't. Jesus mostly, mostly, apart from certain specific things, spoke principally and said, well, this is how you look at this. How do you understand love? You can't understand that. You can't understand the mechanics of love. You can't understand why Jesus died for us, why he, why he went to the cross and hung and died and was killed and can't understand that, doesn't speak on that. But we do know that he died for our sins. And there is a, a certain point where we have to go, and that's all we need to know. Because the risk is, just like science, we end up making it up. Just like scientific theories, we end up making up stuff. So this is both to non-believers and believers, we need to be careful. When it doesn't speak on things, then the Bible doesn't speak on things. When science can't resolve and prove, then science cannot resolve and prove. And so let's get into this next part, dignity. When we look to the creation account in the Bible, there's one major difference that, uh, and, and the, between that and the theoretical account of luck and determination. When scientific theories are formed on the basis that God does not exist, and then to be outright in rebellion of a holy God, then this has major repercussions on the dignity of us as human beings. These are things that you may not have seen before. I mentioned many times the dangers of exaggerating our importance in God's created universe, and that still stands, even though I've spoken a lot about us. Uh, we still need to be careful that we're not placing ourselves at the centre. Just because God treated us extra special, in some ways, but actually we're still not the centre of the world. Jesus, of course, is the centre. Jesus is everything. We need to be careful we don't speak so much and sing about ourselves, having as much importance as God himself. And there is a, there is a tipping point. Where of course, we can sing of what Jesus did for us by saving us. But the saving bit, if I can put it that way, underestimates it, but the saving bit 
It was only possible because God made it possible. It was only possible because God sent his son to die on the cross for all sin for all time. And so there's almost like a, a kind of a short moment where it's, it's about you and then it's not about you. It's about you because you're convicted by your sin. It's about you because you're going, Jesus saved me. And then you go, oh. But it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's done all the work, not me. It was Jesus. It was him. But the dignity offered through scientific theories about how we came to be speaks of one of battle, speaks of one of anger, hostility, survival of the fittest. And over time, over these long periods of time, the theory is we've apparently just learned to be dignified to one another. Apparently, through no moral standard whatsoever, we've moved from a bunch of beings that were angry at one another and was out to kill one another. And one of those beings at some point suddenly decided, hey guys, maybe we should stop this. And then someone came up with some morals and some standards by which we should live. And then eventually this is what we come to today. So if you imagine what we're being told, which is that we were kind of just, there was, we, we had no, no intelligence, as it were, whatsoever. We had no way to form relationships that were, that were calm, that were at peace. It was all about the fight. It was all about being the one who was on top. And then suddenly, something happened where that wasn't so important. And so we sit here today. You're not, hopefully, at any point, going to stop jumping out of the chairs and start attacking me, right? Because apparently you learned that from nothing. Apparently there was no moral standard by which you decided not to attack me today. It came out of nowhere, apparently. So then we stopped trying to oppress and destroy one another. We learned to tolerate and, to a degree, live together. Yet there's no clear way that the scientific method can fully explain how we came to be more harmonious towards one another. And yet I've seen debate after debate of people saying, how is it that we can have this discussion today? How is it that I can ask you a question, not come after you like the kind of like ape that I am, and strangle you and kill you because I want your food? How is it? Oh, well, just over years, you know, time. Romans 1, 18 to 20, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the god godlessness, wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And then that goes on, that's after our verses we looked at earlier. Here is an example in scripture of human beings having an inbuilt moral compass that tells us what is right and wrong morally. Now this would be incompatible with the theory that we were once all out for ourselves, for as Christians, if that's the case, we would have to say that at some degree, 
we just switched it off. It just didn't matter anymore. And let me be clear, that doesn't mean that we always act on what is right and put aside that which is wrong. But scientific theory would need us to have that switch off for some millions of years. I don't know if you spot this about most theories. And it hinted at it. They talk about how humans came to be, how we came to this position, how the earth, the universe was created. The one thing that they always needed to make the theory work. Millions and billions of years. Have you noticed that? And you know what? There's, there's actually a really good method in mathematics. And for the life of me, I was trying to remember it yesterday. I can't remember. I watched the program on it. And it says, basically, uh, if you had an apple, and if there was endless time, that apple would obviously rot. But the apple could turn into anything, because you had endless amount of time. Eventually, even the theory is the apple would turn back into an apple. Crazy, right? But time is the thing that needs to be the component in every single scientific theory, so I can tell. But time, I think, has become an idol of scientific theory. Because if we can't answer it, we can just say, well, if you just give it enough time, we can prove it. But I won't be around to see it. And I wasn't around when you were saying that how I was before or the human race was at the start. We weren't there. And I won't be around long enough to see what happens to the human race in another billions and millions of years. But all this does is reduce the dignity of human beings and our place in God's great creation. When we fail to acknowledge that there is purpose and reason for our being, it's no wonder that people want and will themselves to be other than what God has created them to be. Is it any surprise that people do not know who they are when they're being told they're completely worthless? They have no value in the universe except you're a lucky opportunity you were lucky to be here and then to be told that this god doesn't exist they trap you in and go so i'm worthless because i'm just kind of an accident and then i can't believe in god because you're saying god doesn't exist because there's no designer and then we go why is it that more people are committing suicide than ever before why is it that men most certainly between the ages, I think it is 25 to 45, are the highest group who commit suicide. And then we say, why is that happening? Because we're robbing identity from people. Because the world is saying, you're not really worth anything, and anything you do doesn't really matter. This purpose and reason for our being that we find in God is not some mindless crutch. It's not something just to kind of go, oh, I don't want to face the so-called reality that we're told by the world. It's not because we don't want to think about death. Far from it. As a Christian, the reason why we need to see the dignity that God gives us in his creation is because it shows us what is at the end of this life shows us what's at the end if we accept and embrace God. It shows us what's at the end if we reject and deny him. 
as Christians, we not only accept that death is a fact of life, we go so far to say that if we die without accepting Jesus our saviour and repenting of our sin, we will spend eternity in hell. Who's really scared of death? Is it the Christian or is it the non-believer? As Christians, we place so much value on the dignity of a person that we want them to know that they can be loved eternally by the God of the universe. If this is a crutch and something that Christians have invented, then the logic doesn't hold. We can see from what non-believers say what kind of heaven they would want. One where they need, do not need an obedience to God and that there is no hell. They'll just be in a place. And I want to say, where is this place? And show me the evidence for it. Where is this place where you can do whatever you like without having someone to have created it in the first place? Apparently everyone goes to some form of paradise if you don't believe in God. Apparently there's just this place that everyone is at. It's sort of funny, but it's sort of sad, isn't it? There's no logic and there's no evidence and there's, there's nothing to point to this other place that, that exists. Except when you look into the Bible, you can see that it exists. Heaven exists and hell exists. So instead we have the God of the Bible who created the heavens and the earth and in it placed everything we needed, including those that needed it. Dignity is offered in abundance through the truth of God's creation. Scientific theories that do not see God as the creator fail to give us a dignity that is given by the biblical account. The Bible teaches that although God did not need to create anything. He chose to create us and chose to create us in his image. Isn't that wonderful? Matthew 10, 28 to 31. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are the not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you have more than many sparrows. See that value? Doesn't want you to go to hell, wants you to be with him forever. Wow. It's why you're called a son and daughter of God if you believe in him. How much more value is that? You're not just saved. You're a son and daughter of the living God. Adopted into the family. The only way to truly embrace and understand the value of the dignity God has given us is to accept the very God who made it possible. When we reject the creator God and seek comfort and security of that which is solely man-made and for the purposes of dismissing God, we disown and reject that uh, dignity of which he's afforded to us by him. Romans 1. 21 to 23, for though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Does this ring true for what we see today? Exchanging the truth of who God is for a truth that we made up ourselves and going, that's the thing I believe in. I've got, I've got to have faith in something that you can't prove. And yet God right here, through the Bible, through eyewitness account, through people of his own people who wrote it down and said, this is what God did, which is, which is passable in court, by the way. The Bible of the New Testament, the eyewitness account, it is passable in court. Most lawyers that are Christians and have become Christians have tested the New Testament, the gospel, and said this would be just as acceptable as our eyewitness in a, in a road accident, in a murder, in any, any crime. But it would be the same level of acceptance. It would meet the requirement. It's incredible, isn't it? And what do we do? Here is proof that the Bible is true. And we go, no thanks. Don't want it. Do you know why that happens? It's because of it, what it means for that person. Because the moment you have to accept that the Bible is true, you have to accept that Jesus died on the cross. And when you accept that Jesus died on the cross, you don't have to accept the reason why he died on the cross for our sin. You see why we don't want to do it. It's very difficult for people to take that road knowing where they're going to end up. And so what we see today is not only people just saying the Bible isn't true, but truth doesn't exist either. There is no such thing as absolute truth, supposedly. You see how it works. This is how our minds work. We go, if I can just say my truth is the truth, I don't have to consider everything else that is actually reality. The reality is we're fallen, broken people in need of a saviour who is sinful and need Jesus. But who wants to go down that path to have a revelation of how sinful we are? That's a difficult path. So let's erase it all. Let's pretend it doesn't exist. And this is what we find today. When we reject the va that value God has placed on us through his son, Jesus Christ, God hands us over to that which we desire above him. This uh, utter hypocrisy of a world. And, you know, you, you, you might have been called it yourself being told you're a hypocrite. And yet I look at the world and I think, wow, the hypocrites call us hypocrites. The utter hypocrisy of a world that tells us we are nothing but slime that got lucky. Mocks the one true God who is the only one that actually gave us any value at all. It then disowns any responsibility for why men and women are committing suicide or are confused about who they are. That is abhorrent. It's unacceptable. You can't take away the value of a person and then go... Just get on with your lives. Your lives mean nothing, but get on with it anyway. And then wonder why the world falls apart. I was, uh, told you last week, actually, that I'm watching this series called The um, Road Trip to Truth. 
And he goes up to this guy and he says, um, he, he goes out and he asks, he's mainly on university campuses. And he says to him, do you believe that there's absolute truth? He says, no, no, no such thing. In case you don't know what that is, it means that if I said to you that humans breathe oxygen and need oxygen to live, that's an absolute truth, right? Unless you can find a way to live otherwise. Have you found a way to live otherwise? I don't think so, right? You don't, you don't breathe water in, do you? You breathe air. So the absolute truth is that we need oxygen to live. Proven, because I'm proving it right now. That's absolute truth. And many of the people he spoke to, including this guy, he says, do you believe in absolute truth? No. I believe that truth is transient. It's my experience. It's whatever I want it to be. And then he, he says to him this. He says, right. He says, if all these people, let's say, let's take the whole campus or even every single person in the world, if they said to you, you don't exist, is that true? You know what he said? Yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? He said, why would that be true? I said, well, because the majority, right? This is not a question of whether his opinion was true. It's saying, you as a person, the human being standing in front of me right now that I'm asking the question to, that's breathing and living, thinking and speaking, if all these people said you didn't exist, would you say that was true? Yeah. If they all decided that was the case, then it's true. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? That someone has to so believe that there's no truth that they'll accept everyone else's version of the truth. It's an incredible state of the world that we live in. And you just feel for this guy because this guy, when he said it, I have to say, you can see the lostness in his eyes. This guy's lost. This guy doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know the ramifications of what he's accepting. Truth doesn't exist. And if someone tells me a truth and it's in the majority, it must be true. And let me say this as we come to the end here. If anyone's confused about their identity or they're brought into the lie of the world that you're nothing, that we're nothing, that you're nothing, nothing but an accident. I want to tell you that in God you can know who you really are. Your identity is assured. In God you can know that you're loved. Why would you want to trade that with a nonsense? You can know that you're loved because in Christ you have a purpose. And so we should be humble before this great God that made us special in his creation. There is such an easy way to accept that the truth of God is, is true. It's the only truth that exists in this world that makes up countless lies, lie after lie after lie that spins, that says things that are just outrageous and we end up accepting them because, well, the masses agreed to it. 
But when you learn that God loves, God has a place for you. God's done this for a purpose and a reason. That, that should lift every weight, every problem, as it were, every trouble off your shoulders. So I'm not here just suffering for no reason whatsoever. There's a reason why this stuff happens. And because he chose to create us, because he chose to give us a purpose, we can be assured that we've been created for a purpose. Everything God created has a purpose. You only have to pick up the Bible and read the account of, this, uh, of at least the six days and know that everything has a purpose. And because of that, we should know that we have a great dignity bestowed upon us. Swap this lie of the world that tells you you're nothing and accept this truth that you're special. The world doesn't want to hear that. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask God, if we're struggling with this today, God, make me know that again. Make me know that I'm special to you. Make me know that I'm loved by you. Because this world is, is getting to me. It's trying to hurt me. It's trying to tell me you're not true. It's trying to tell me you're not real. Through simple prayer, finding peace in God's love, we can find that God always loved us in the very beginning. So let's pray and then we'll worship. Lord, uh, 